This morning, join me in Galatians chapter 2. This will be part one of what it looks like about three, <laughs> uh, three lessons in this one chapter. And this is all a continuation of the Apostle Paul as we started out last week, just laying out um, where he's come from. Um, from the road, his conversion on the road to Damascus, uh, now to this place where he is defending really the integrity of the gospel. And that's our morning's, this morning's message's title is Defending the Integrity of the Gospel. We're going to be covering Galatians chapter 2 verses 1 through 10. So let's start out by reading, beginning in verse 1. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery. To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary... When they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. And I want to continue because this is going to set the stage for what we're covering this morning. Verse 11. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Heavenly Father, we are truly thankful for your word, for it is truth. Lord, I know that there are many things that we can find in your word. Lord, as Jesus walked this earth, he corrected the way in which the Jews had seen the word of God up to that point. Corrected, refined, he gave clarification to, and so we see also the Apostle Paul doing that very same thing. Lord, we ought to do that too. As we gain wisdom and discernment, Father, according to the knowledge that we have gained in your word, 
Lord, we ought to, as we're presented with sometimes difficult situations, Lord, give clarity. Give clarity to the circumstances by your word. That maybe sometimes what we are doing in our own lives, applying even to others and holding them up to as far as standards are concerned, or sometimes they're not of you. They're actually a burden, troublesome. They're an enslavement to others. Holding almost in some to the point to where if they don't do this, then perhaps they're not even saved. Lord, may we be consistent in our application of the Word of God in what we have come to know as salvation. We are truly saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. It's not by works, lest any man should boast. We thank you, Father, for the word that you've set before us. I pray that we would learn much. To your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Question. How do Christians make their faith meaningful in a new world of thought without distorting or destroying the gospel? That's the day in which we live in. Here's a... a, Simple, basic answer to that. And that is, know the Word, understand the Word, and explain the Word in living in it. Living it. Living it out in our own lives. Speaking and teaching it. That's the most basic answer to that question. What we have before us this morning is the Apostle Paul establishing his acceptance by those who know the law and authority. Those who are deemed by those at the time as experts in the Word of God. He's also establishing the fact that he is one sent by Jesus Christ to preach the true gospel, so that it may be understood that what he is writing to the Galatians is the truth and worthy of heeding. So he's establishing, this is, this is my authority, and it's actually been confirmed by those who know the Word very well. This is all to defend the integrity of the gospel. What I mean is that Paul makes sure that what he is about to explain to the Galatians, he's not there yet, was something already submitted to criticism to those who know that the, the Word of God well and have found the gospel that he has been preaching for 14 years is found to be sound. That is so as for them not to make it anything other than what it actually is. Not to be fooled by those who are bringing a different gospel if there is any any such thing. Remember what the Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians 1, 6-7, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Paul talks about Christian liberty, but never condones nor is advocating for evangelical liberalism. That's what we know it to be today. 
uh, liberal theology, liberty without conscience, licentious living, or as we've also termed, sloppy agape, right? H. Richard Niebuhr on liberalism said this, this is what liberal theology is, a God without wrath brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross, close quote. We see that all too often today. Often. Liberal theology can be thought of as a suspension bridge with the footing of one tower planted on modern thought. Do, do some, some study. Anybody go through college? You studied uh, philosophy? Uh, the history of man? Modern thought. The progressive era that has impacted the church even today. And so it can be thought of liberal theology in this, in this way, a suspension bridge, right? The footing of one planted on modern thought, the other on Christian experience. Christian experience. Both are built on shifting soil, loose, and eventually cannot stand the weight of God's word as it is, as it is tested by God's word and its strength. It's overpowered, it comes crumbling down. I bring this up because today we see much abuse or perversion of liberty in Christ, but in the form of sinful living, licentious licentious living. But that is not what Paul confronts Peter with. It, it, It wasn't that. It was something different. It was called legalism. It was called, it's it's something requiring something of someone that is beyond what God has required for salvation to take place in their lives. What Paul is confronting is the attempted twisting of the gospel by those who should know better. Say, well, they didn't twist the gospel. No, they they did. They did. They added to it. They were adding to it. They they were uh, acting the part. And they should have known better. They were confusing the Gentile believers. Can you imagine one moment the Apostle Paul, or, or actually the Apostle Peter, is, is eating with them? Because what we see in that is that uh, he, he ate on a regular basis. It's not like he was caught in the middle of a meal. It was that he would eat with them on a regular basis. And, and when the, uh, the Jews came, they were all, hey, Peter, come on, let's eat. He's like, no, man, I'm cool. What? It's confusing. One moment you're good to eat with us, but then the the Jews come and and you want to draw away and eat with them only. This looks familiar. It was a division that was taking it. So it confused the Gentiles. That's another gospel. That's not the gospel that was being presented, and they knew. And Paul addresses them, because this was, this was a serious matter, and Paul knew it. The falling is what took place after living 14 years in obscurity, preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And the very one that before him, the Galatians were being sucked into it being perverted and having gone in a different direction. The very one that he came to completely surrender to. He was trying to protect the integrity 
of. So Paul's preaching confirmed to be sound is found in verses 1 through 10. Verse 1 and 2 says, And after 14 years I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and said before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had run in vain. Now, after 14 years, 14 years, He was preaching, teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. He went to Jerusalem with two men that were very well known and very well respected. We know that Barnabas was a a great encourager, and he was. He was the one that sought out the Apostle Paul and brought him to the brethren and introduced him to the brethren. Uh, They they were all afraid of the Apostle Paul, who isn't this Saul of Tarsus who... (laughs) who persecuted uh, those of the way, the faith. And yes, but he's fine now. And so we know Barnabas to be that person who did that with the Apostle Paul. Now, we also know that Barnabas was a co-laborer of Paul. He went with them on missionary trips. And so he was a great companion and a friend of, of the Apostle Paul. Titus was a man who was considered by Paul to be a son in the faith. According to Titus 1.4, he was a brother who was missed when not around. Oh, man, we should all be people like that. To where when, when we're, you know, we're serving the Lord and, and fellowshipping and having communion and, and really serving, that when, when we're not there, that we're missed. That's a good thing, right? Titus was such a brother in, in, the, in the Lord that for the Apostle Paul, he was dearly missed when he wasn't around. That's how he looked at Titus. This was who accompanied him to Jerusalem. He was trusted with life and finances, who had the same desires as Paul, and Paul was comforted when he knew that Titus would be by his side. But Titus is coming. Oh, I'm comforted already. I'm so happy. I, I, I'm so looking forward to seeing Titus. He was comforted by Titus. That's a type of people that we ought to be. Comforting, loyal, trustworthy. Ones that would be missed if we weren't around. And so this is who accompanied the Apostle Paul. Paul did not go up because this was the day he had been building up to. Yeah, I'd been really, really working up to this. And because, you know, I'm, I'm such a great preacher and teacher and I'm so well known among the Gentile churches, you know, I, I'm sure that's why I'm called to Jerusalem. No, that's, that's not. In fact, he wasn't even called. You know? Paul who? Paul, oh, Saul of Tarsus. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We heard he was preaching. He's been doing, doing that for the last 14 years. But no, he wasn't called. He was not called on by the church. Preaching and teaching, it was not for the sake of man. It was for the glory of God. Because he was called to do that by the Lord. No, Paul went to Jerusalem because he was led by the Spirit to do so. He went up because of a revelation. Paul knew exactly why he was going to Jerusalem. To present to them the gospel that he has already been preaching for 14 years. Why? Why? Well to make sure that what he had been preaching 
had not been in vain. Well, if he was confident in the word that he had been giving to the Gentiles, why would he ever think that it was not sound? Well, I believe Paul knew that it was sound. That what he had been preaching was in line with Old Testament prophecy. He was a student of the Word of God. In fact, he was uh, the star student of Gamaliel. And so he knew the, the Word of God very well, like, like no one else. He was excelling everyone else uh, of his own peers. He was above and beyond them. And so he knew the Word of God very well. He knew the prophecies that had, had been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so, you know, pointed to Jesus as a Messiah who had come just as Scripture had laid out and been studied. This is the very seed that our Lord God had spoken to Abraham about. He knew that. The seed that would bless all the nations. This is the son of David. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is Emmanuel, God with us. He knew that very well. But for reasons that belong to God, God led Paul to Jerusalem to establish the gospel with the Jews, that it be made effective in the lives of those who had not fully received it or fully understood it. Oh, I think this trip to Jerusalem happens every day as we have other people explain the gospel to us more fully. We, a lot of people can be like those people in Jerusalem. God sends to you someone who has been in intimate fellowship with the Lord, who understands the Word of God well, God's grace, His mercy, His compassion, His hope, His peace, His strength, all of that, and just comes alongside and asks, have you considered all of these things? This is what we see here. Because there are people who know the Word of God academically. Oh, they know the Word inside and out. They can recite and they can even be very effective teachers of the Word of God. And yet don't know how to apply it practically in just everyday life. Their lives don't fully reflect the faith they claim. But this was also to serve those that were being written to. We can't forget that the audience of this letter is the Galatians. It wasn't uh, James, Cephas, and John. James, Peter, and John. It, it, it wasn't them. It wasn't the leaders in the church in Jerusalem. This was only to support that what... Paul was telling the Galatians was true and sound and according to Scripture. This was to serve those that were being written to, addressed in this letter, to help support the fact that what Paul is telling them has been, has been in fact, fact-checked. Right? Hey, I just want to give you, this is what I've been uh, teaching, preaching to the Gentiles for 14 years. What if someone were to test you on what you've been preaching and teaching for the last 14 years, but you submitted to it? This is what I've been saying. Please correct me if I'm wrong. You just laid it all out. 
And he laid it out. It's not here exactly what, what he laid out, it, what he's been telling them, but, but he laid it out for them. And then allow other people to fact check what you're saying. Oh, we, we should do that more often. Right? Allowing people to... Is, uh, that's actually sounds more like you know, this dogmatic doctrine which is unbiblical, you know, and for these reasons. And give them reasons that come from the Bible. Right? Or me. I, and I always say, by the, by the way, you know, if anything, and I've said it from the very beginning, I believe from, from, the very, from the very first sermon that I preached, that if there's anything from this pulpit that is, that is unbiblical, then please lovingly, but please pull me off to the side and just let me know. You know what? What you said was not in line with God's word. And I, I will research it. And if I'm wrong, I will, I'm more than happy. In fact, I am responsible to come up here and tell you, all of you, you know what, I made a mistake last week. And it was pointed out, and I would just want to let you know that this is, this is actually the way it should have been taught. Paul gave himself to the scrutiny. And he was telling them, it's all been fact-checked. And it's all found to be true. Paul was sensitive also to the, st- to the standing of some of these men within the community, within society. Uh, and so he presented the gospel to them in love, privately. Perhaps some of them were wrong and would need to be corrected. Imagine that. Paul was doing this privately so as to not to embarrass anyone. That's a good lesson for us. The issue of the day was the Gentiles and the church. It wasn't these, these men here, but that was the issue of the day. There was a problem in that day, in other words. There was still this division, and they couldn't quite get over it. They were conflicted as to whether they could be welcomed into the church, the Gentiles, after having been rejected and even despised for all time, all this time, up until that day. (laughs) It was a big deal. It was a big deal, deal to the Jews. I mean, think about the fact that the Gentiles were looked at as even being um, stubble, you know, uh, kindling, um, extra wood for the fires of hell. That's, all, that's why they were born. That's what, that's what the Jews looked to them as. And now they too can know salvation? and be grafted into the family of God, and be welcomed into the fellowship of the brethren, uh, you, you'd have to admit that'd be a little difficult. They'd been learning up to this point something quite different. And now, oh, everything has shifted. Other Jews said that they could be received, but only after they make themselves Jews by placing themselves under the law of Moses. Because they believed that salvation was only for the Jews. Now, according to Old Testament, those who wanted to continue with uh, the Israelites were to go through certain rites in order to fully uh, become part of them. Circumcision was part of it. We're going to see in a few moments how that was something that was not demanded of Titus, who was not a Jew. Now, if this continued to be the issues and they were not addressed, then this could undermine the gospel Paul was preaching. 
and in fact usher in false doctrine by false teachers because of their refusal to receive the true gospel of grace. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So this is, it doesn't say, for God so loved the Jews, the Israelites. He didn't say that. He said the world, peoples, all peoples, all nations, everyone. So it was for this reason that Paul addressed them privately. Paul knew the issues of the day and addressed them. Exhibit number one. Let me present to you Titus. Titus, well, he's a Gentile. He is a Greek. And he has not been forced to be circumcised. Nor will he. The Apostle Paul, like, he hasn't been circumcised, hasn't been forced to be circumcised, and will not be. He's not going to be circumcised. There's no need for that. This was what was required under the law of Moses for anyone who is claiming the God of Israelite, the Israelites as their God. But that was under the law. Now they were under, what are we under today? Under the law or under grace, right? We're under grace. And again, for example, Titus. Paul was not condemning circumcision, by the way. But he was also pointing out that it had nothing to do with salvation. And it was not going to be forced upon the Gentile believers. And yes, yes, they are brethren. But it's not going to be forced upon them. Circumcision of the heart is what is at the core of this issue. As far as circumcision is concerned. God never desired this to be some sort of external checklist, religious checklist to complete in order to claim you know, that certain people are God's people. He has always desired lives and hearts to be fully surrendered to Him because of their love and devotion for Him. The flesh is cut away because the person desires to please the one to whom they belong. Can you imagine, you know, and and we sometimes get superstitious. Well, if I do this, then it'll make me feel like I'm closer to God. Whatever it is, right? It's, can, let, let me ask you this. Can you get, as a Christian, can you get any closer to God? Can He get any closer to you? No. Not at all. <laughs> he loves you perfectly. He loves you completely. He demonstrated that in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He says He's always there. When He says He's always there, He will never leave you, never forsake you. That means He's always there. He will never leave you, never forsake you. We're the ones that turn our back on Him. We're the ones that go in the opposite direction. We're the ones that ignore Him. We're the ones that reject Him. We can't get any closer. The moment we repent of our sins and turn around, it's he's right, right there. He's like the father of the prodigal son. Oh, who from afar sees his, is that my son? Is that my son? That's my, that's my son, right? Lifting up his garment and he runs after him. That's our father. 
the moment where we repent of our sins and, and come back to him. That's him. Runs toward us, embraces us. Oh, kill the fattened calf. We're, we're going to celebrate. My son is back. He desires a heart, not this religious checklist. Desires a heart. Once the heart is completely his, our lives will will follow what we do, how we live our lives. The things we do away with, the things we are given to. That's when that circumcision will be true in our lives. Uh, Issue of the false brethren. Let's look at that verse 4. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery. Well, well, verse 5, To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. This, it, it's, a, it's a big issue. It's a, it amazes me. When it's like, why would you take the time? What, why... If you just want to come in and criticize and like uh, lead people astray, why are you getting up on Sunday morning and coming and doing something like that? You know, in, in sowing discord among the brethren. That just like is odd. But when we understand the schemes of the enemy, how it is that Satan uses certain people to do that very thing within the churches, then we realize, oh, it's beyond them. All they're doing is following their father. Because we know that they're false brethren. Just as there were people who snuck into the church back then to enslave people, bringing in unbiblical standards of salvation and casting condemnation upon those who don't follow the law when under grace... There are those who sneak into the church today doing the very same thing. And I remind you of Galatians 1, 6 through 9, where the Apostle Paul tells him, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed, as we have said before. So now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. And this is what Paul was addressing. But I do want to make a distinction between those who are learning humbly and are willing to submit to the word of God when confronted with it, and those who just plainly insist that what they say is law. Very dogmatic about insisting that everyone follow the law or they go to hell. There is a distinction there. There is a difference. There are those of us who are among us, who remain with us, that perhaps don't know the Word of God fully, and when confronted with the Word of God, submit to it. They're governed by the Word of of God. And so with that, you know, there is a distinction. We're, we're growing in the Lord. We're learning. Therefore, we should be humble before the Lord. Well, Paul referred to these people as false brothers. In, in other words, to make it perfectly clear, um, uh, uh, let's just say uh, 
a false false grass. False grass. Is it grass or is it not grass? It's because we live in an area where it's, you know, we have that, that fake grass. So when you go up to it and you, you say, man, it looks so beautiful, right? And, and you touch it and you're like, that's not grass. No, wait a minute. It is grass. It's just fake grass. No, it, it's just made to look like grass. has the color of grass. But when you come up to it and you touch it, you realize it's not grass. No, it is grass. It's grass? No, grass is alive. It, it has these blades, and it, it starts out as a seed, and then it grows up. No, no but, so this is not grass. False, fake, is not. Right? Okay. So Paul referred to these people as false brothers. In other words, they are not brothers at all. That's a strong word. That's a strong accusation. Those that make every attempt at enslaving the brethren, fellow Christians, are suspect. And may be false Christians who have snuck in, used by Satan to deceive the church and lead people away and destroy the work of the Lord. Paul said, we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. There is a great battle for souls that demands sound biblical discernment with understanding and a willingness to stand your ground when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. There, there is a, an absolute need to understand that. If Paul didn't think the integrity of the gospel was important, then he would not have fought for it and stood for it and remained in it. But he did. And why is the question. Well, why, right? That's something that we should all always ask. As we go through Scripture, we should ask, well, why did he do that? Well, it's normally answered in the following verses. Why is it? What? That's true. Why, why did he do that? Why was it so important to Paul? I mean, he could have neglected that. Yeah, you know, I can go to Jerusalem and explain to them, and you know, uh, but I don't want to. I'm just here among these people. I could insist on the gospel and all of that, but I'm not. You know, who am I to, to really rock the boat, you know? I'm, I'm fine where I'm at. Why go looking for trouble? You're not looking for trouble. You're just defending the integrity of the gospel, which is very important. Why? That others may receive it and know salvation just as it is. Nothing more, nothing less. So that when you see it twisted, when you see it perverted, you may discern. It's kind of like one of those things to where it's like you're going along. Yeah, it sounds good, sounds good. And then it's like, wait a minute, back up. What would you say? Why? Because you know the gospel. You know the truth. You know God's word. And therefore, when someone twists and perverts it, you notice it right away. You identify it. The danger was that if the gospel was compromised, then it was not only going to affect the Gentiles believe, Gentile believers, but all believers, Jews and Gentiles. They were all in danger of being brought into bondage to the law. 
So Paul refused. Titus was not circumcised, and that was okay. This did not make him any less of a brother than any of the Jews who had come to faith in Jesus Christ. How about the famous Christians? Verse 6, look at this. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. Famous Christians is, is what we have here. Um, see, the Bible is relevant today. I know it is, always will be, but some people claim it's outdated ancient writings for another day. Another people, no. It, it's sharper and living. It, it, it's living and sharper than any two-edged sword, right? It, it's, it's relevant for today. It's the very breath of God. Well, I cannot emphasize this enough, just as Paul did. The influential people, those who appear to be, Paul was not moved by them because God doesn't favor anyone. And he knew that. We seem to be moved by famous people, public people, popular people who are on TV, on big platforms, write books, make movies, or endorsed by many churches. And then, and then we're like, okay, so I, I know what you're saying, Pastor, I know. But, but so-and-so said this. I can tell you if, you, if you hold what other people say, if you hold to what they say with greater attentiveness and in, in, in favor those words over Scripture, then you're in trouble. You're in trouble. Big trouble. I, I'll just say this. I, I'd rather not... Yeah, don't put a picture... Not that you are. Okay? But don't put a picture of me on social media and then quote me. Yeah, I'd I'd rather not see that. Quite honestly, church. I am, you know, of course encouraged, but I would rather see just plain scripture. Put scripture up there. It's like, oh, that's, that's boring. No, it's not boring. It's a word of God. If you're not moved by God's word, then you're looking after and chasing after the wrong thing. Oh, but so-and-so said it. I, I don't care who said it. If the Apostle Paul wasn't moved by these people, neither am I. I I'm not moved. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not like awestruck. I, I'm not. I remember there was a time early on in my walk with the Lord to where, to where I would look at these people like as if they were like, oh, you are so amazing, right? No, they're not. They're just like you and I. And then I started hearing about these people falling. One that, that completely shook me to my core was a man by the name of Bob Coy. Shook me. Because I thought God is using him in such amazing ways. The way he brought the word, oh man, if I could just get a little bit of his humor, you know, the way he, no, but that was his personality. But he had his own faults that he didn't keep in check, that he wasn't accountable to other people and all that. So, so you know, 
it shook me. At the same time, I am encouraged by my brothers and sisters in Christ, but I don't put them up on a pedestal. I don't hold their word above the, the word of God. I, I, I don't. And it shouldn't be that way. This is nothing new. We ought to listen to what is written here. Paul said that it made no difference to him, and they added nothing to Paul. Nothing to, the gospel, you had nothing, they add nothing to the gospel itself. If you know the word and you know the gospel soundly, then there is no one that will move you with something new. And they won't be seen as the authority on the interpretation of the Bible because you have come to know that God is the authority on the interpretation of the Bible. The Bible is is the authority on the, the interpretation of the Bible. We make commentary. Hopefully we explain the word of God. But it's always going back to the word of God. Paul relied on the relationship he had with Jesus and no one else. This was not to undermine those in leadership, but to point out that he was not in awe of people who were considered to be famous Christians. Paul had the gospel himself. He knew the gospel himself. He looked to the gospel itself and nothing and no one else. That was it. And then to close out verses 7 through 10 is basically they gave him the approval, so to speak, the hand of fellowship, saying, what you have preached to us is sound. Is sound. Verse 7 says, On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Those that Paul uh, presented himself to saw and recognized that the gospel that he had been preaching was sound. And that he had indeed been sent to the Gentiles to preach it. They acknowledge it. Like one of those things where it's like, oh, it's evident. I, I, I see a calling. Oh, you, you do clarify the word. You do explain it. Right? You're, you're a teacher. You're one that can be used within the church. You're obviously called to that. And what you're preaching is sound. And that's what they were telling Paul. Paul was no different than Peter who preached the gospel to the Jews. The distinction was not in the gospel itself, but only the assignment given to Paul and Peter. In other words, it was the same message to different people. That's what we ought to remember. It should be the same message to just different people, different crowds. That's it. That's the only difference. So Paul presented himself to the church in Jerusalem to present the gospel to them that he had been preaching for 14 years to the Gentiles and they concluded that what he had been preaching was sound and indeed God's calling was upon his life by God's grace. James and Cephas and John extended a hand of fellowship to Paul and Barnabas and encouraged them to go to the Gentiles to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Cephas, by the way is Peter. 
And we'll learn next week as we read at the very beginning at the introduction about uh, a little incident that took place between Paul and him that further establishes the importance of defending the integrity of the gospel of grace. Because Paul actually confronted Peter with this hypocrisy of his. So it further establishes the importance of defending the integrity of the gospel of grace. The only other thing that they had asked Paul and Barnabas to do was to take care of the poor. Something Paul had already had in his heart. And it was actually demonstrated by the way he collected for uh, the church in Jerusalem. Because they were going through a famine and so they were in need. And so he, he exemplified this. He uh, collected from the Gentile churches and he sent the money to Jerusalem. So he demonstrated that he was indeed um, really compassionate for those who were in need. So in closing, why did Paul take this so serious? That's something that we need to ask ourselves. And I, and I believe we answered this morning Why did Paul defend the gospel so vigorously? We know it was because the gospel is meant to liberate, not enslave further. Not meaning license to sin, but meant to release anyone from trying to follow certain rules and regulations and laws in order to know salvation and even gain God's favor or or remain in His favor. We can fall into those traps to where I have to do these things in order to remain in God's favor. Oh, and if I don't, and something starts happening in my life, oh, then I'm doing something wrong. You may be, there might be something going on in your life. Allow the Lord to inspect your life and reveal anything that is not of Him, and then repent of that. But it may be, you know what, you're just going through some of these things just because of the way life is. We live in a fallen world. We go through different things. Uh, Health issues... It's not because you have a lack of faith. It's just because you have health issues. We, we have these tents. They're breaking down. That's what they're doing. Uh, you know, we'll talk to Adam, right? But hey, he brought on this whole thing. <laughs> and so we're, break, we're breaking down. There are things. Can you explain certain things that happen um, throughout the uh, range of years of people? I just had a 35-week-old baby die in the womb yesterday morning, right? Or, or how about uh, someone who is a, in a car wreck at in the age of 30, you know, in the prime of their life, right? As we would say, the prime of their life. A son that, was, that just died that is in the, their late 30s. Um, on the other end, you know, it's like you have someone who's 92, 95, and they come to the end of their life. Well, why is it that we die at different times? Uh, we have certain health issues early on, late, you know, in between. The best explanation is this. We live in a fallen world. This is not our home. God can still be glorified through those circumstances. And our joy in our hope is not in this life, but in the next one. When we place our faith in Jesus Christ, 
we have the certain hope of forever being in his presence for all eternity. And so for that, we rejoice. And that's why this was so serious for the Apostle Paul. Paul wanted to make sure, hey, listen, don't add to it. Don't take away from it. The gospel is this. You are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came and was born to a woman who had no relations with a man up to that point? Was born from a virgin, lived 33 years, was crucified, and was buried, and was resurrected three days later? Do you, do you believe in him? If you do, then th- this, this is not what we're living for. We're living this life to glorify God in preparation, really, for the next one. That's it. And to lead more people to Christ. That's what this life is all about. Enjoy it. Enjoy it, but make sure you keep your eyes fixed on the author and perfecter of your faith, Jesus Christ. He is our everything. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the hope that we have in you. Lord, the Apostle Paul did defend the gospel with such intensity, Lord. He wanted to make sure that no one twisted it, no one added to it, didn't place any further requirements in order to know salvation, because really, they were only adding burdens to the people, being enslaved to the law. Thank you, Lord, that we have liberty in Christ. And even in that, Lord, we don't practice that liberty in a way that... uh, brings us to a place of uh, practicing sin, Lord. But we understand that in that liberty, Lord, we can respond in a way that's loving to you, that expresses our gratitude for what you've done for us. And So just as the Apostle Paul writes to the Galatians, Lord, so write on our hearts that love that you have for us, the grace that you've offered through Jesus Christ, And that there's really nothing else. Only that we can enjoy a sweet, intimate fellowship with you, communion. And look forward to the day in which we are in your presence for eternity. In Jesus' name we pray.